welcome i'm pooja sarkar and you're listening to the podcast from the bookshelves of forbes india and today we are back with all things finance now today's book is called bad money inside the npa mess and how it threatens the indian banking system by vivek call vivek is an economist and an author and he has previously written some bestseller books now this book is quite a good read because he has written about the entire bad loans issue in a very simple manner he traces the history of indian banking and how it impacts us even today and i'm hoping today's conversation will help you understand the indian banking mess in an easier way and also drum rolls please next week we will have mr rc bhargava chairman of maruti suzuki discussing his new book now let's get back and say hello to vivek call who's going to talk about everything that is bad in indian banking right now welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for doing this uh, first i want to ask what made you write the book okay uh, so the, the 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 short answer is that i wrote a book because uh, it had been uh, you know quite a while since i wrote the last one i mean that that came out in january 2017 uh, so it had been almost uh, close to 3 years uh the long answer is that the uh, the uh, my editor at hapa collins sachin sharma uh, came to me with an idea on a book on uh, the bad loans of banks now i wasn't very uh, to be very very honest i uh, uh, my first uh, thought was you know why should i i write a book on bad loans of banks uh, simply because i had done too much writing on it uh, in the mass media in the last 5 years so what happens is when you uh, at least in my case when i decide to write a book uh, you know the one of the main reasons or probably the main reason is uh, because i want to understand something in great detail and i thought i already understood uh, most of what uh, this topic would have had to offer so my initial uh, reaction was to sort of uh, you know a try and uh, you know tell him that uh, boss this is not working for me uh, then what happened was one day while i think uh, after having had a heavy lunch and snoozing uh, the 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 title for the book came into my head you know bad money and that got me very very excited uh, you know i just loved uh, i just loved the title so and because i was in love with the title i decided to write the book i mean typically it's the other way around for most people but what happens is when you're trained as a journalist uh, one of the first things they teach you is uh, think of the headline first or rather i should rephrase when you have worked as a journalist i've never trained as a journalist so when you worked as a journalist one of the uh, first things they teach you is to think of the headline first and uh, and it just and then that's precisely what 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 happened in this case which and that's something that's happened to all my books i have always thought of the title first and then gone around uh, to writing the book so so yeah i mean that's the long answer okay and uh, coming to the part where you know the book takes its readers through the history of banking in india uh you mentioned from uh, imperial bank of india which went on to become state bank of india you also talked about the nationalization of banks uh, how rbi came into play later and that it was all governed by imperial bank of india and what were the key turning points for banking in india because there is so much history in the book that you have captured yeah right so see basically uh, you know what what happens is uh, 
uh, you know, it is very important to uh, get into the history of anything uh, if you want to understand why it is the way it is, and which is why the first part, you know, there are two halves uh, to the book: the first half and the second half. And the first half uh, deals extensively with history, and and the second half deals with the uh, what has happened uh, with the banks in India in the last uh, ten to fifteen years. Now. Uh, to just uh, summarize a little bit of history so as to establish uh, uh, the right context, the, uh, uh, you know, the Imperial Bank of India was formed in 1921. And it was essentially formed by the merger of uh, three banks uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the bank in Bombay, the bank in Madras and the bank in Chennai, uh, which were the three uh, presidency banks as they were called. And uh, finally, what, what happened was that, uh, uh, you know, after India got independence uh, and, uh, you know, Imperial Bank was sort of nationalized and it was renamed State Bank of India. The major reason for that, I mean, I think there were two major reasons. Uh, one was the fact that uh, uh, some of the politicians did not like the fact that most of the, uh, you know, the, the high level staff, the managerial, you know, not the managerial, but but the senior managerial staff at the Imperial Bank was British. Uh, so that was something that did not go down well with politicians. And the other thing was that, uh, you know, one of the committees I think established uh, sort of came up with uh, some data points which basically showed that uh, lending wasn't happening in, uh, you know, rural India. Uh, lending wasn't happening to agriculture and so this essentially were the main reasons as to why uh, the imperial bank of india uh, became the state bank of india uh, so the point to uh, remember here is there is another point now this was also an era where a lot of uh, other uh, in sectors and industries were being nationalized so the insurance companies were nationalized life insurance companies were nationalized and uh, uh, you know all of them came together to become uh, the Life Insurance Corporation of India. This happened in 1956. The airlines were sort of nationalized and uh, that became Air India uh, in 1953. Uh, Air India was also, you know, an airline which Jayadi Tata had uh, started. So that airline along with all the other smaller airlines were merged and, and, and you know, they were nationalized in 1953. So this was an era when uh, nationalization was... Uh, happening and but the interesting thing is that the only uh, only bank which the government uh, really owned was the state bank of india and this continued uh, until 1969 and 1969 uh, in 1969 14 banks were uh, nationalized and uh, you know there was no real the, the reason for uh, the nationalization was and uh, essentially, uh, after Jawaharlal Nehru died, uh, Lal Bahadur Shastri became the Prime Minister of India. And then when Lal Bahadur Shastri died in Tashkent, uh, Indira Gandhi took over. The thing was that uh, she wasn't really in control of uh, the Congress uh, party and also the overall narrative that uh, prevailed in the country. Uh, now, uh, P.N. Huxer used to be uh, Principal Secretary to uh, Mrs. Gandhi and was also a very close confidant of hers. And he urged her to take some bold economic measures for political survival. He also convinced her that people of the country would support her on the issue. 
Now, uh, so the idea was to nationalize banks with, uh, you know, deposits of rupees 100 crore or more. Okay. So that's just 100 crore. But it so turned out that uh, Dena Bank, uh, which now has been merged into the Bank of Varoda, mm -hmm. and which was considered to be an important private bank at that point of time, had deposits of only 98 crore. And, uh, you know, if the cutoff was 100 and, and Dena Bank had a uh, had deposits of only 98, it would have missed the cutoff. So to avoid that, the cutoff was lowered to uh, 50 crore, and uh, and the banks were uh, nationalized in July 1969. Uh, the next uh, level, the next nationalization happened in 1980, and uh, this was uh, not much of a political uh, decision. I mean, if you read the history of the RBI and also, uh, you know, what I.G. Patel, the then RBI governor, has written. And it's very, very clear that it was more of a decision that Patel made in order to sort of uh, uh, control a few private banks, uh, which were not really uh, doing banking properly. Now, what, you know, why I am, you know, why all this is a part of the book is essentially to establish that, uh, you know, a lot, a large section of banking in India uh, in the eight, 70s, 80s, 90s, and even in the 2000s, uh, was uh, largely public sector banking. And because of this, uh, people started to feel that their deposits in banks are very, very uh, safe. And uh, uh, so, you know, one of the uh, one, of, one of the beautiful comments uh, regarding this entire issue was, uh, made by uh, the former deputy governor Viral Acharya, who uh, in a 2016 interview uh, said that once you have the name of the country or the state's name in the name of the bank, the depositor knows implicitly that the bank is very safe. So if you look at uh, you know something like a state bank of India or a central bank of India or any of these banks or a bank of Maharashtra, you know, or Punjab and Sindh Bank or Punjab National Bank. So, uh, you know, even the average depositors knows that this is a bank which is backed by the government. And, and given that it has been backed by the government, it will not be allowed to fail. But there's this one thing uh, that we have been seeing that there has been, um, as you also write in the book about how uh, PSBs have managed to get so much of deposits. If these deposits weren't really there, it would have been difficult for these PSBs to survive. And also, uh, you over the last five years, we have seen that NPA and distressed assets has been the buzzwords of banking. I mean, it was in 2015, I started, 14 end, in fact, I remember, we had started writing on uh, distressed assets. Then, the, then came the whole dirty dozen list. What is the size of the whole bad loan problem? And what are really getting resolved? Also, if we compare the mess with the previous ones that we've seen in India in the 90s that you've talked about in your book, when NPAs had breached on 25% of bank lending, where do we stand today? Are we better off than 90s? Are we worse off than 90s? Where are we really in that sense? So, you know, as I explained, uh, there is an implicit faith in the government banking system. Okay. Now, uh, how does that help? Uh, so let me give you uh, a nice contrast between two banks. One uh, is a bank called IDBI Bank, and the other is a bank called Yes Bank. Okay. 
Now, uh, ITPI Bank, uh, I mean, uh, now it's uh, it used to be a private bank, then it was in you know nationalized it became a public sector bank and now it's become a private bank again so uh, but private in only in 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 you know uh, not in the real strictest sense of the term because the major owner of the bank uh, happens to be life insurance corporation of india so uh, idbi bank uh, had uh, bad loans of more than 30% now what that means is basically close to one third of the loans that the bank had given out uh, had been defaulted on for a period of 90 days or more okay but despite that uh, 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 you know the deposit base of the bank continued to be strong now uh, you know typically if you come to know that a bank uh, you know is giving a loan and uh, those loans are not being repaid or as a depositor what would you do i mean you would go and withdraw your deposits in the bank uh, simply because how does uh, a bank work? A bank basically works by, you know, first taking deposits from uh, uh, from people like you and I, and then it gives out loans. Only when the loans get repaid will the deposits get repaid. So if one third, take, you know, if I if I was if I were talking, uh, you know, slightly simplistically here, if one third of the uh, loans of the bank were not repaid. Uh, technically, a portion of the deposits of the banks should also have not been repaid. But given that it was a nationalized bank, uh, uh, people had immense faith in the government and they continued to have the deposits in the bank. So they did not, you know, turn up uh, wanting their deposits back. Now, uh, you know, the banking uh, model is such that if uh, a certain proportion of uh, deposit holders uh, want their deposits back then any you know even a well-functioning bank can end up in trouble uh, so this was idbi bank and uh, the, uh, the depositors did not turn up at the bank wanting their money back now contrast this with a private bank uh, which is yes bank now yes bank uh, ran into trouble and uh, even before it ran into trouble uh, rumors that it's already in trouble and and the smarter lot start drawing uh, the deposits from the bank and uh, i think between uh, january and march uh, this year between end december last year and march this year uh, the deposit base of the bank uh, shrunk by close to 37% now why was that the case that was the precisely the case because yes bank is not a government owned bank now in the end uh, at, at the end of it obviously the rbi had to intervene and the rbi arranged a rescue uh, but uh, you know you see the contrast that how uh, a bank which has greater np higher nps than yes bank uh, idbi bank uh, you know, kept running normally. Whereas in this case, uh, so many depositors uh, came and wanted their money money back. Now, what happens is if depositors turn up and want their money back, uh, it becomes difficult for the operating bank because the, the bank has already given out that money as loans. So what it has to do is then it has to call those loans back and then repay the depositors. Now, theoretically, uh, almost all the public sector banks in india should have gone uh, through uh, you know such a scenario but none of them did and and the reason for that was because people had implicit faith in the fact that these banks are government owned and they will ultimately be rescued so
that's one part of your answer uh, the second part is how uh, question was how big is the npa problem hmm. now uh, the N- npa problem is pretty big and uh, so uh, as of march 2018 the npa problem basically peaked and the total uh, npas or bad loans of uh, of banks in india was uh, uh, more than 10 lakh crore and it was it was close to 10 lakh 10.35 lakh crore the uh, uh, the 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 uh, npas of public sector banks had uh, stood at around uh, 7 uh, 8.95 lakh crore and since then the npas have come down and they've come down uh, to of public sector banks as of december 2019 have come down to 7.16 lakh crore so over the years um, the npa problem uh, has uh, gradually uh, come down but we we are not totally we have not totally done away with it as yet now one of the reasons that it has come out it come down is because uh, you know uh, the government initiated the insolvency and bankruptcy code in uh, 2016 and it started uh, sort of functioning in early 2017 now because of that uh, you know some of the big defaulters uh, you know like bushan steel uh, sr steel and you know and and, and these companies Uh, uh these companies have uh, sort of been sold to new owners and some of the loans uh, a good portion of the loans have been recovered also uh, what ibc does is uh, more than uh, you know it, it it creates a threat among uh, the defaulting entrepreneurs that their company will be taken away from them and that threat is essentially uh, you know what is is the core idea at the heart of ibc and that has also helped banks recover a lot of loans uh, having said that there is still a long way uh, to go because uh, you know ibc is if you look at data very very carefully ibc is working in case of larger companies but it's really not working in case of uh, smaller companies now what happens is uh, if the resolution you know if 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 a company is put through the insolvency and bankruptcy court uh, uh the uh, you know uh, a, a, a resolution plan is needed if a resolution plan uh, you know if if the resolution professional is not able to come up with a resolution plan then the company is put through liquidation now liquidation essentially means that the assets of the companies are stripped and and sold now the problem is that uh, the moment something like that happens uh, barely any money is recovered because <clears throat> that market the second hand uh, asset market in india doesn't really exist uh, to answer your third question how bad or how good is the scene in comparison to uh, the bad loan scenario of early 1990s so in 19 uh, i think in the early 1990s the bad loans were uh, and and that was an era when public sector banks uh, you know were the biggest of the lot the the bad loans were uh, close to 25% so basically one fourth of the loans given by these banks had turned bad uh, were not being repaid now in comparison to that uh, you know the current bad loans rate of uh, public sector bank i think uh, is around 12 to 13% 12% so uh, 
so in comparison to that obviously uh, the scene uh, scenario is much better but uh, what you also have to take into account is the fact that uh, banks in 2020 uh, are much 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 bigger than they were back in 1990 91 and 92 so uh, you know that factor also needs to be taken into account okay there is one thing that i want you to you know clarify to our listeners that what because i have seen that a lot of people do not understand the difference between a loan waiver and a loan write off now can you explain this okay. difference so uh, so waiver is very simple a loan waiver is where the government comes in <clears throat> it can be the central government it can be the state government and it uh, says that uh, uh, you know a certain sector does not have to repay uh, loan bank loans now the sector typically tends to be agriculture and uh, when agriculture loans are uh, waived off by the government the banks typically uh, the banks are compensated okay so the banks do not lose money here uh, what is a write off now write off is a, it's a slightly tricky uh, thing now what happens is once a bad loan uh, has been a bad loan for a period of uh, 4 years it automatically gets uh, and in most cases, it automatically gets dropped off from the balance sheet of the bank. Okay. Now, once it gets dropped off uh, from the balance sheet of the bank, uh, that loan, you know, does not exist on the balance sheet. So that is a write-off. Now, uh, in in the strictest sense of of the term, uh, a write-off would mean that the bank has no hope of recovering that loan, and hence is giving up on it. But in India, we have a funny, uh, you know, uh, sort of definition wherein a write-off is deemed to be a technical write-off. And what happens here is that uh, while the loan is written off at the headquarter level of the bank, which is, you know, at, at the centralized level, but it is not written off at the branch level. So what that means is that at the branch level, the, the guys who had probably given out the loan uh, still need to go out there and recover it. Okay, so uh, a write-off in India is 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 uh, is really not a write-off. Okay, now the question is, do banks manage to recover loans that they have written off? Okay, and if you look at uh, the data, uh, and and I mean I have some data in the book as well. Typically, around uh, you know 14-15% of loans which are uh, written off, the banks need uh, manage to recover. So what that basically means is that uh, you know once a loan is uh, written off by a bank, it uh, its chances of being recovered are pretty low. And if I were to sort of uh, you know say some something a little simplistically here. Uh, a, a, a write-off can also be called as a wave-off. The uh, it can also be called as a waiver, and the only difference being that uh, uh, loan waivers are typically given to farmers, whereas uh, write-offs are typically given to uh, the corporate crowd. Sure. Now, lately there has been this talk about a bad bank. Uh, if you remember, a few years back, I remember 2017, we all went about saying, "Oh." Uh, India needs a bad bank. Look at Poland, look at uh, Spain, look at all these other countries uh, where they have had bad banks and it has done well. So let's bring bad banks to India. But we haven't really been able to bring bad banks to India. So why is, are we too late to get this concept of bad bank in India? What is your view? And uh, do you think we will really get one? 
a bad bank you know this is a strategy wherein uh, what happens is you create a new institution and you move uh, the bad loans of banks to this new institution now it becomes the responsibility of this new institution to sort of uh, ensure that it keeps uh, you know recovering these bad loans uh, the old banks uh, then uh, you know do not have any of these uh, bad loans and hence they become good banks and the good banks can then concentrate on uh, you know lending and you know carrying out other banking functions properly so this is the basic idea behind a good bank and a bad bank now uh, the the problem is that uh, you know in in case of any of these strategies the first thing you need to figure out is what is the incentive at play okay now of of late uh, there has been a lot of talk about moving bad loans to a bad bank and this has come from the indian banks association uh, you know which is currently in love with the idea uh, so at the heart of a bad bank is the idea of public sector banks selling bad loans at a discount to this bad bank whichever you know when as and when it is created the problem is that you know i don't see public sector bankers doing that in the past uh, public sector bankers have been reluctant to write down the value of their loans uh, a sale of bad loans to the bad bank would face the same problem uh, no public sector banker in his right mind would want to sell bad loans at a discounted price and then risk inviting the wrath of investigative agencies if the bad bank is a public sector entity then the bad loans would shift from one public sector entity to another and the reluctance of public sector banks to act on bad loans front would simply shift to the bad bank okay because that's the incentive at the heart of it if the bad bank was a private sector entity then the public sector banks would be reluctant to a private entity at a discount so either ways the structure won't uh, it won't work and uh, and i think it makes more sense for the uh, the government to invest money directly in banks rather than create a new institution uh, and then invest money in it as well because a bad bank will also need money to get going i mean it can't like uh, survive on love and fresh air as they say so so i don't think this idea is going to work it's it's just that uh, uh, it's it's just it's just that uh we all love uh, solutions and it it sounds like a solution but if you look at uh, the economic incentives at the heart of it uh, i don't think it's workable so now there's one thing that has been happening since the co since covid has come into play is the whole uh, talk about moratorium also there's a case going on uh, on how interest rate should not be charged on this entire moratorium period but as of now let's say rbi has said that you can avail moratorium but obviously you're going to be charged interest rate on your amount going forward right. in the next coming month once this entire moratorium period is over and if we look at banks huh. if we look at the announcements is been coming from the banks a lot of people are actually trying to conserve cash and are okay to go ahead with the moratorium what is the kind of hmm. massive impact that you see this will bring hmm. about on the entire banking system okay uh so as you know the morat uh, there are, uh, the moratorium is available for a period of 6 months now and goes on till august uh, 31st uh 
so one of uh, i think i was i was reading a research note recently by uh, macquarie research and uh, and and they say that around 20 to 30% of borrowers have opted for uh, the moratorium and and they estimate that by the time the uh, you know moratorium ends in august 50% of borrowers would have uh, uh would would have already been uh, will already be on it now you know the interesting thing is that uh, the the um, uh so at, at least till august 31st banks cannot uh, you know declare bad loans because uh, you know if someone is on a moratorium then obviously he has the right not to repay the loan Uh, i think the default uh, in loans will start happening after august 31st and uh, you know if you go by the definition of bad loans uh, uh, it essentially is any loan which has been largely any loan which has been defaulted for a period of 90 days or more and uh, hence uh, bad loan recognition will start by uh, after november sorry I'm. I was just calculating, and I think it's the December quarter where where we see this. Ha! Huh. So basically, by uh, you know, so it'll start popping up after November, and uh, the first declarations will happen when the October to December uh, results are declared in January and February. Uh, now the thing is, if if fifty percent of borrowers end up under a moratorium, and even uh, a small ten to fifteen twenty percent. of those borrowers end up defaulting i mean we are looking at a very very uh, huge number of defaults so if you look at the entire scenario i think what will happen is the the entire uh, uh, whatever cleaning up the uh, the banks have managed to do in the last 4 5 years uh, will all be nullified and they will have to start all over again i mean uh, the banking shock uh which is going to be postponed up until early next year is going to be big and huge now as of now it it's is difficult to sort of estimate and come up with a number but uh, it's going to be huge mm-hmm. and what can actually save india's public sector banks right so what can save uh, india's public sector banks is basically what is called as the access bank model now what is the access bank model uh, access bank was originally called uh, as it was called the uki bank and the interesting thing is that uh, even though the bank was owned by the public sector it had the license to operate as a private sector bank okay <clears throat> and which is why it ended up uh, creating tremendous wealth uh, for the government over the years and uh, now if you if you look at you know uh, if you if you look at market capitalization right now uh, kotak bank which is you know which is hardly which is not a very big bank has a higher market capitalization than the state bank of india which is by far the largest bank in india and is probably 9 10 times bigger than kotak okay uh, uh, hdfc bank's market capitalization is much more than all uh, public sector banks uh, market capitalization put together so what that tells you is that the fact that the government does not run public sector banks as a business has cost it a lot of money over the years right now i understand that uh, you know there has to be a social aspect to what the government is doing but that social aspect could have easily been uh, you know fulfilled by running these banks as proper businesses and then you know when they were run as proper businesses obviously they would get the right valuation as well and when they would get the right valuation the government could sell some of their shares and keep doing uh, 
you know carrying out social service activities and uh, and and axis bank is uh, a very good example of this where the government has sold uh, its uh, holdings over the years and uh, you know that money has been spent uh, in the normal course of things so it is very very important that these banks be run as uh, proper businesses and not as uh, you know some sort of a social sector enterprise which the government owns and if the government runs it as a proper business you know it will benefit uh at the end of the day and this does not apply just to public sector banks i mean it applies to all public sector institutions uh that the government currently owns so before i let you go one last question i have to ask um we're talking about bad loans of nearly 9 lakh 10 lakh crore that's a huge huge amount of money but if you right. see an average indian and or a normal friend of mine if i'm speaking to that person that person isn't really concerned about the fact that there's so much of mess that is happening in the indian banking system we all get scared when we hear a pmc case and then everybody would call up and say where should i park my money should i uh, remove my deposit from x bank and put it in y bank it's at, it's only on those inflection points that people realize okay there is a problem that's happening in the system why is it that people are so unaware of the entire issue and is it also that you know people do not really understand how provisioning works and how your money is really at stake at times because of this entire npma mess right okay uh, so see people uh, are people and people only have uh, so much time uh, to spend on different things you now which is why you you know and, and you would know definitely people like that puja where people spend hours and weeks trying to figure out which mobile phone to buy or uh, where to holiday and and things like that <laughs> whereas when it comes to uh, uh, you know saving their hard earned money they are happy to hand it over to the first insurance agent or the first bank wealth manager who comes along uh, which is a much more important issue because it's your hard earned money at the end of the day now uh, why does that happen that happens because priorities in life and you know you have priorities and you only have so much time uh, having said that uh, you know it is very very important to uh, to to uh, uh, figure out exactly how your money is being handled and the reason for that is very simple i mean you know if you have money in your life as you go along uh, your ability to make good decisions uh, goes up i mean if you are in a job you don't like you can quit if let's say in this in in this current scenario i mean so many people are getting fired and and people getting fired and a lot of people getting fired don't even have three months savings so if if someone has let's say a year's savings at this point of time you know he doesn't have to at least you know start worrying from day one he has a period of 12 months to figure out what to do with his life and start all over again so in this scenario it is very very important to know uh, and uh, to know which bank you are banking with now you know take the case of yes bank so many people got stuck there and uh, and and it's not like you know uh, there was no news of the bank uh, being in trouble i mean there was news all over the media but it's just that people were not aware and what happens is uh, you know in this day and age uh, no bank is going to go bust but uh it can be put under a moratorium as uh, yes bank was thankfully the moratorium in case of yes bank was not very long but if you look at uh, uh, the uh, punjab and maharashtra cooperative bank in this case the moratorium has been very very long it's it's still continuing 
and in fact only recently was the withdrawal limit uh, increased to 1 lakh rupees and if you follow uh, the local press in mumbai you would know that how many so many people have had to uh, face repercussions of uh, this moratorium uh, there are people uh, uh, you know whose uh, uh children were supposed to get married uh, i remember one particular story about this gentleman who needed uh, you know medical treatment but all his money was stuck in uh, in in pmc bank so it's important to know where your money is the other thing which is very important and i find it extremely uh disturbing is the fact that uh, a lot of people have all their money in one bank you know why would you do that i mean it it makes so much sense to sort of spread your money across different banks and if god forbid even one of them uh, goes into uh, you know some sort of a moratorium or anything like that you at least have money in other banks which you can withdraw and carry on uh, with your life so it you know it makes without getting into the technicalities of what is provisioning and what is npa and you know you need to have a feel of whether the bank that you're dealing with is a good bank or a bad bank and the the, the simplest way to do that and and you know is to look at uh, you know the what is called as the bad loans ratio or a gross nps if uh, the percentage is greater than 10% and even if it is a public sector bank i mean so what that means is if that bank is uh, in uh, you know if the uh, borrowers uh, if more than 10% of the borrowing of the bank is being uh, defaulted on i mean i wouldn't uh, personally bank with that bank even if it is a public sector bank because you know ultimately uh, you know the level of service being offered by all public sector banks is the same so why have your money in a public sector bank which is giving you the same service and has a very high bad loans rate i mean you would rather be with a public sector bank which has a low bad loans rate and this is basic research you can easily google it and it's your money at the end of the day so true sure. Thank you so much for your time today.